Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. There we go. All right, let's do it. Let's get on with this. Hey, my name is Tim, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Just, I just want to give you a heads up. So last Sunday, I taught at our partner church, the Coastlands Church in Aptos, and I took over there the stool that I usually sit on, and I left it there. So I'm on this, like, this stool right here, like this, like I'm on this, this is not my home stool, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I need, so if everything's a little off today, you know why. This is it. This is it. We'll get it back. We'll get it back the next time. All right. Hey, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, You know, I was thinking as we were singing those songs, you know, some of the words of that last song, um, I will not be shaken. You know, I don't know how you feel. I don't know how your world is right now. But right now we're standing together in unity with uh, brothers and sisters, those who claim to follow Jesus in the Ukraine. And right now they are, they're singing songs like this. We're getting stories from the front lines. And they're gathering together and they're praying and they're singing songs like this. And imagine singing that song as you wait for the sound of attack. I will not be shaken. Um, we're not in that place. Thank you, God, for that. But we stand together with our brothers and sisters who are in that place here today. And so we wanted to just take a moment here right at the beginning of our our time together to pray and to lift up everybody involved in that situation, um, that leadership would come together and that wisdom would prevail and that there would be no more conflict uh, in that place. So would you pray with me right now? Let's pray together. God, I come to you this morning And I come to you on behalf of all of us, this community of faith, as we come together here to celebrate your goodness, to look to you. God, we're we're, uh, keenly aware this morning that we are in a comfortable place. God, we, we live in this amazing place called Santa Cruz. We we, we are so fortunate in all that we have and, and all that you've given to us. And even this morning, we, we walk into this place with, with, without the worry, the weight of something like war hanging over us. And so, God, we thank you for that. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for the reminder you've given us in this. And, God, we're so grateful that we get to lock arms with our brothers and sisters across the world from this side of the world to that side of the world, as they walk through this trial, this this thing that, that they didn't choose, God, that was thrust on them. But here's what we know, God. We know that in the chaos, your goodness shines through, and that it shines through even brighter. The darker the chaos, the brighter your presence. And so we pray for those who are Jesus in the flesh, in Ukraine, and around all of Europe as they as they walk through this. God, we pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray that even those who have seemingly lost their minds 
as they, as they have led others into this, God, we pray that your presence would somehow break through and that there would be level heads and that, God, there would be peace, that the war would stop. And, God, we pray for what you are doing in the lives of people in, in Ukraine and around the rest of Europe as you're reminding them of how fragile this world is and how things can change on a moment's notice. And so, God, we cry out to you, the one who is the Prince of Peace, that you would bring peace and that, God, through all of this, that people would come to know you. We praise you for the ones who already have. There are already people who have said yes to you, Jesus, to your great love because of this. And so, God, we thank you for that. Thank you for allowing us to lock arms with our brothers and sisters across the world. And it's in the name of Jesus the resurrected, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is no coincidence that God would give us this thing that we're going to talk about here today. So if, you, if you're not familiar, like if you couldn't guess this, I, I'll, I'll tell you, we plan ahead for, for Sunday mornings, right? Like we don't just like, like, like Saturday night be like, hey, what should we talk about on Sunday and, and come up with something? Uh, we pray and we plan and we have a team of people across all three of the churches in our partnership, Hope Scotts Valley, Hope SoCal, and the Coastlands, we get together and we pray and we collaborate and we ask God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? How would you have us to go as we open up the Bible and talk about you and the songs that we sing and all of it? And many, many weeks ago, we believed that God would have us to talk about becoming hope today. And isn't that just the way God works? When we not only have all of the craziness that we have in our normal lives right now, but we add that to that war in Europe that broke out this last week, and here we are. And we get to have God speak to our hearts about this thing called hope. And I don't know, I don't know how, what it's like in your life, but I could use some hope. Uh, in fact, as I prepared this message, I was just thanking God the whole time because I need hope. I need hope. I, 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 I need God to speak into my life and give me something, to give me hope as I move forward. And, and, um, and so I hope that it is the same with you today. And so we're going to jump into something that is so timely and so powerful and it reminded me, actually, of, um, you know, this year, Nicole and I will celebrate 25 years of being married. And so I can't, I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. Pray for me because I have the pressure of planning something, like, extraordinary for our anniversary, which is in December. And, um, and so I, got, I, have to, I have to pull out all the stops, you know, 25. And so... Uh, we celebrate 25, but I remember what it was like when I was going through the planning process, not of my 25th anniversary, but of asking Nicole to marry me. And we were, we were just kids. We were, we were just kids. And some of you are looking at me and you're like, Tim, you're like a kid right now. You're, you know, I get it. But listen, we, I felt like we were just kids and I was, I was, uh, I was not even, no, I, was, I had just turned 20 and I was preparing this this thing. I, was, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to do it right, you know. I, I wanted it to be perfect. And I, but I didn't want Nicole to know. And so the good thing for you all here for this 9 o'clock service this morning is that 
Uh, Nicole's not here, so I can, you know, I can sort of embellish a little bit here, and she, she won't be here to correct me. But um, no, so I wanted, I wanted to, um, I wanted to be a surprise. So I, I, um, I planned it around her birthday, and she always went to the same seafood restaurant um, for her birthday. And, and you no, know, it was, it was not Long John Silver's. Um, and um, and so I, I was gonna, so I planned to do it right on, on that night, right? And so, um, so I wrote this poem. And so just a heads up, heads up, if you're in this place. Um, if you're using a poem to win a girl, be prepared to to write poems for the rest of your life to keep the girl. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I boxed myself in, and I, and I just didn't realize it. Um, so I wrote this poem, and I I um, I in the middle of our meal, I stood up. Now, now some of you are like, "Oh, Tim, why did you do this?" Um, but I stood up on top of my chair, and I got everybody's attention. And I, and I, read, this, I read this poem, right? And I, I read this poem, and um, right as I started it, there were these two women sitting right next to us. And, and they, were like, they, they were like, what's going on here? I don't understand what's happening here. And then as I got through, started getting through the poem, like they understood, and by the end of it, they were cheering me on. They were like, mm-hmm, come on, come on. <laughs> Come on! And so they would cheer me on, and I went through the poem, and, I, and, and at the end of the poem, I asked her to marry me, and um, I got down on one knee, and she said yes, fortunately. And, uh, but I took a risk, right? I took this risk because I, 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 I said all of this in front of a group of people, and, and there was a chance, right, that she could say no in front of all of these people. And then where am I? What do I do at that point? Now, I had a very, very confident expectation that she was going to say yes. I, I knew she was going to say yes. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> She's not going to say no to all of this. You know what I'm saying? Um, no, she, I knew she was going to say yes. And I knew she was going to say yes not because, <laughs> not because of how awesome I am or because how good looking I am or, you know. Um, or because of how much money I had, or the car that I drove, because none of that was hardly any good. Um, I knew she was going to say yes because of our love. We had built this love up until this point to where we weren't sure what was next, but we knew we wanted to do it together. We knew we didn't want to spend another day apart from each other. We, we knew that we had something that we sensed that God was leading us into that would stand the test of time, right? And it was because of that love that I had this confident expectation that I could step into a moment, take a risk, and that the risk would pay off, right? How many of you in your life have situations where the outcome is not guaranteed for you? It's a risk, some of you are like, Tim, that's my every day. <laughs> how, how, how many of you, so I know people who, for example, um, their entire income is based on commission. Like if they don't sell whatever it is they're selling, they don't eat, right? Like every day is a risk. Every day, you know, we all have the, here's the thing, here's the reality about the world we live in. Every single day, we have things that push against us that want to squeeze out 
the hope that we have. Challenges that come our way. Obstacles that come our way. Mountains that we stand in front of. And they could be external, like the world pushes in around us all of the time. Or the bigger mountain sometimes is internal, inside of us. We put up our own barriers, our own conversations, our own mountains in front of us that threaten the hope that we have. On top of all of the external pressure, the internal pressure, is the fact that you and I are born with a hope deficiency. We're born with a hope deficiency. In fact, the Apostle Paul today is going to be our guide as we walk through some scripture, a story actually in his life. But listen to the way the Apostle Paul says this. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. This is you when you were born. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, basically a relationship with God. Without hope and without God in the world. This is you and I as we're born. We're born into this world with external pressure, with internal pressure, and with a hope deficiency. We are without God and therefore without hope. This is our reality that we live in. Now the good news is that that is not the way that God wants it to be. You and I are born into a broken world that God is in the process of restoring. And in God's restored world, you and I have hope. You and I have a relationship with God. This is, in fact, here's here's, Paul says it like this in another place. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches, here's the hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So external pressure, internal pressure, born without hope, and over here we have God who says, it's my desire for you that you would know the hope that I have set aside for you. So these two things are constantly at war with each other. Constantly. Every day of our lives, we live in this reality, and we have to choose to accept God's reality. Every day of our lives. There's no getting around it. There's no vacation from it. The good news is that God has designed it so that we can not only be hopeful ourselves, but so that we can also become hope. We can actually have so much hope in us that it overflows and gives hope to other people. In fact, I would say that God's design for you is that you would have so much hope that you become a hope dealer. (laughs) That every single day of your life you have so much hope that you saddle up to whoever God has in your life and in a way... You lean over to them and you're like, hey, man, I got some good stuff here. I got some hope. I got some hope for you. You want some hope? You need some hope. God has called us to be hope dealers in this world. And so the Apostle Paul is actually going to walk us through 
um, a, a chapter in his story. And as he does it, we're going to explore this one big idea truth you're going to see up on the screen. Here's our big idea truth. Hope is not just possible, it's God's promise to us. This is the one idea we're going to explore here today. Hope is not just possible, it's God's promise to us. All right, you ready? All right, let's go. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can pull it up on your phone, or you can just look up at the screen, and the words will be up there. Can I just real quick say this? Every single Sunday, the words don't just magically show up on the screen. <laughs> they don't just magically show up there. We have a team of people who prepare the words, who put the words into our computer programs, and then who actually display the words up there. Every single Sunday, we have people who do that. Man, props to, props to everyone who, who, who works on that. Yes, yes. Um, they do an amazing job with that. I just trust that the words are showing up back there. And so, um, and they always do. So, we have an amazing team. All right, Acts chapter 27. We're going to jump into a story in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, maybe you're new to this thing. Maybe you just showed up. Maybe you just need a reminder. The Bible is divided into two halves. You have the Old Testament, which is the beginning of days to the birth of Jesus. You have the New Testament, which is the birth of Jesus to the end of days. In the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, is the guy who wrote over half of it. Like the bulk of the New Testament, the second half of our Bible, comes down to this guy that we're going to be reading about right here. Paul, at this point in his life, has traveled around the world telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was all God and all man that he was the Messiah the Jewish people had been longing and looking and hoping for. And Jesus was the good news because he not only came and became one of us, but he gave his life. He lived a perfect life, and then he gave his life, died on the cross, and three days later was resurrected, bringing hope to all who would believe in him. Paul spent his life telling people about that. In fact, his primary calling was to go to all of the non-Jewish people around the world. So, so th this is how it went down. <laughs> this is how it went down. Jesus had 12 guys that he trained. He came to train the 12. And one day Paul was, was, was strategic planning with, uh, with, with the 12. And he's like, okay, you 12? Yeah. You, how about you take the Jewish people? Right here, Jerusalem and I'll just take everybody else. This is Paul. This is his attitude. Like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to reach his people. And he did, and God used him to travel the world. And at this point, he had been taken prisoner. He had been taken prisoner, and he was traveling to the city of Rome, and he was in a boat, and he was traveling to Rome. And they had set out to their, for their final like, leg of the trip to go to Rome. He's a prisoner now. Remember, he's a prisoner and uh, they were heading out to Rome. And before they pulled out of the harbor, Paul said to these guys, we shouldn't do this. This is not going to end well. And they said, yeah, you know what? Of course you're going to say that. <laughs> you're a prisoner. 
you don't want to go to Rome and have to answer to Caesar, the leader of the known world. And so, yeah, of course you don't want to go on this leg of the trip. So, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go ahead and go. And a storm came up. In fact, here's where we pick it up. Acts 27, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. All is good. A gentle wind. They're on the open sea. They're heading toward their destination. It's a good place to be. Before very long, though, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. How many of y'all have ever been in a hurricane? Some of you have. We, so we lived in Florida for the first 10 years of our marriage. One year, we had the eye of the hurricane, of a hurricane, passed over our house four times that year. Hurricanes are no joke. And that's when you're like standing on dry land. let alone being in a boat. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it inside the boat. Then they passed ropes under the ship to hold itself together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This is the place that they were. They just gave up. They had thrown everything off that they could. They had the anchor down, dragging on the bottom, hopefully trying to you know, keep them close to shore, and they just finally gave up. They just said, I, we can't do it anymore. There's literally nothing we can do here. We're done. So all they did was get in the hole of the boat and just wait. And they knew that they were going to die. I mean, they had resigned themselves to that fact. How many of you all, the words that we just read and the words that I've just said describes either your entire life or parts of your life right now? How many of you have places in your life where you've just given up? Wherever the, 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 the wind takes me, I'm, I'm going because I'm not, I'm not putting up any resistance anymore. I can't, I can't fight it. I don't have the emotional energy anymore to fight that battle. I'm done. How many of y'all have ever been in that place in your life? You can, can you relate to what these guys are going through right here? I know I can. I mean, if I throw out words like this, do you feel like you have a fighting chance? If I say Ukraine, Russia, war, pandemic, COVID, masks, politics, and that's just all the stuff happening out there, 
let alone, you want to get, like, get personal now? How about we say words like marriage, finances, job, right? All of a sudden, we have a very keen sense of what they're going through. Like they're in a place where they have literally lost all hope. But they have the Apostle Paul on board. And in verse 21, it says this, After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up among them and he said this, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail to Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves the damage and the loss. Now, how many of you wives and girlfriends, and at least this is my experience, uh, can say amen to that? Like, I told you so. I told you that if we did that, this would happen. I told you we shouldn't have done that. I told you we should have done that. Like, how many of you have ever been in a place where you're just like, your significant other has been like, man, I told you not to do that. And you did, and it, it did not end well, and you're like, I know, I know. This is Paul. He, he didn't miss the chance to stand up in front of, uh, of these guys and be like, I told you not to do this, Right? But he wasn't just throwing it in their face. I think Paul was, was establishing the fact that you should have listened to me then, but I'm about to tell you something now that you should listen to. You made a mistake then, don't make a mistake now. And here's what he says, verse 22. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost and all the men on the ship were like, yeah! Only the ship will be destroyed. And the owner of the ship was like, no! You know, mixed emotions here with this. Verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, Paul said. And the angel said, do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Friends, this is hope. What we've just read is hope. Hope is not a it's not a, a, a hope so, like, like wishful thinking. Hope is not, I hope the waves are good. I hope I get the raise this year. I, I hope the warriors go all the way. You know, I, I hope there's a day when I can afford a warrior's ticket. Um, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. Hope is not a hope so, it's a no so. Hope is not circumstantial. These guys on the boat lost their hope because it was based on the circumstances. If the weather is good and the winds are favorable and we're heading the direction that we plan to go, then all is good. But if the storms come, and if we have to throw everything overboard, and all of a sudden all of our plans are derailed, and we're now heading a direction we never dreamed we would head in this life, then all is good. Hope is not circumstantial. It doesn't depend on what's happening around you. 
hope is a confident expectation in who God is and what his promises are and what he can do. This is what hope is. It's a no-so. I was confident to ask Nicole to marry me in front of a whole restaurant full of people because I knew that I could anchor down in our love and that she would respond to the question I was asking in the way that I wanted her to. You and I can go through the storms of life and we can know that we'll be okay. We can have hope as we go through whatever comes our way if we're anchored down into the rock that is Jesus. This is what hope is. Paul, as he led these people, he would say it like this in other places. In Hebrews, he would say, we have this hope of Jesus as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, and you're like, what? What does that mean? The temple had a place called the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary. It was it was divided from the rest of the temple by a huge curtain, and only the high priest went into the, uh, the Holy of Holies where the physical presence of God was and would offer sacrifices, would worship on behalf of the people, asking God to forgive their sin. Paul says this hope that you have is so firm, it's so secure, that it's literally anchored into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. It's not a set of beliefs that's just like you came to believe somehow about what's, what's in this Bible, the teachings of, of the Bible. It's a hope that is literally anchored in the very presence of God. This is the hope that you and I have. This is how firm and secure it is. It's not based on circumstances. I have hope because I know who God is and not any other reason. Paul would go on to, to say this. In fact, Paul, through his writings, would not let us just sort of leave this thing called hope out here. He wouldn't just give us an example of what hope looks like lived out, like, like we're seeing on this boat. Paul would tell us exactly how to have the same hope. Because you might be like, yeah, that's cool, Tim. That's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But I'm not, you know, that's Paul the Apostle. Like, I'm not, the, I'm not an Apostle. I'm not Paul. I'm not, you know, a writer of half of the New Testament. Of course he had this hope, this anchor. Everything that Paul is experiencing, God designed to be duplicatable for you and for me in our lives. And here's exactly how it happens. You ready? This is exactly how you have the same hope as Paul. Here we go. Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews, he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of those who have gone before us in the faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, watch this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and protector of our faith. 
the one who started it, and the one who will see it through to the end. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and now he sits down at the right hand, the throne of God. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is the secret to hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In fact, let's go back to our story in Acts 27. Paul said this in verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said... Paul could have hope because he fixed his eyes on Jesus. He knew the presence of God was with him. Now, in this case, he had an angel standing next to him. And you're like, yeah, Tim, look at that. He had an angel standing next to him. I could have that hope if I had an angel standing next to him. Are you kidding me? Like, if you've just had that thought, let's talk about this for just a second. You have the entire Bible printed in multiple translations, multiple languages if you speak multiple languages. You have the whole counsel of the Word of God right at your fingertips like you've never had it before. Paul didn't have any. He had like some of the Old Testament. He didn't have what you have. He couldn't see what you could see. He didn't have a guy named Paul that he could look back on. He didn't have a record of the life of Jesus that he could... He was writing the record of the life of Jesus, right? Like, this is... You have more than an angel standing next to Paul. Paul could have hope because he fixed his eyes on Jesus. He knew that God was with him. But watch this. Last night, an angel of the Lord, to, of the God to whom I belong, Paul knew his identity in God, and to whom I serve, he knew he had a purpose in God. God's presence and God's power and God's purpose in his life were all front and center because he fixed his eyes on Jesus. And you say, okay, Tim, um, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus? Fortunately, Paul helps us with that as well. Paul is, Paul is the man today as we walk through this. He's pointing us right to Jesus. Look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians. He says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down in this life, but not destroyed. Therefore, he says in verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs everything we'll face in this world. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, all the things we see around us become secondary. All the challenges you face become secondary. 
All of the mountains you stand in front of become secondary. The hope of Jesus is that He stands the test of time. You know, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now, many of them have already lost their lives in this, in this war. And as they breathed their last, they had hope that God was with them in that moment, that they knew that they, who they were, that they were God's, and they knew that God's purpose had been fulfilled in their lives, and they breathed their last. And the next moment, they were with God in eternity. This is the hope that we have, even if it's death. Even if it's death in this life, this is the hope that we have. So let me ask you a question. Your hope tank inside of you, how full is it on a scale of 1 to 10? Get that number in your mind. What would you say it is right now? Between 1 and 10, 1 being it's almost empty, 10 being it's full to the top. If your hope tank is not full, here's what God would have to say to you today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What are you doing to fix your eyes on Jesus? And can I just tell you something here? We love Sunday mornings. We love coming together like this. It's such a great experience. And we get so much out of it. But Sunday mornings alone is not going to fill your hope tank. It's just not going to do it. It's like, trying to, it's like trying to sustain your body eating one meal a week. You need to eat every day, right? What are you doing to fix your eyes on Jesus? You know, one of the things we need to remember in this is that Jesus has given us everything that we need right here in his word, right here in the word of God. The promises of God are what allows us to be able to stand the test of time to be able to put our hope in Jesus because we know not only who we are, but what he promises. And so let me ask you this. How are you engaging the word of God, the Bible? Are you reading it? Are you consuming it? Are you memorizing it? Are you keeping it out in front of you? It's the number one way to fix your eyes on Jesus. And you're like, nah, Tim, you're putting like this religious expectation on me. Like, now nah, i got to check the box of reading the Bible. No, nah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you got to fix your eyes on Jesus, and you got to have some way to do it. And the Bible this is the number one way to do it. I say what I say because it's the life that God has given you to be able to put Jesus always out in front of you. How are you engaging the Word of God? This is God's challenge to you today. As we look at hope, if your hope tank is not full, then maybe God is reminding you that it's time to start putting your eye, fixing your eyes on Jesus in a more regular way. Listen, you don't fall backwards into hope. You have to be intentional about it. And so let's be intentional about it. Let's be a people that are so full of hope that it overflows. In fact, here's what Paul says in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we end our time today. 
God's desire is not just for you to fill up your own hope tank, but that it would overflow to the world around you. There are people who need hope, who will only see hope as it overflows to them from you. And you're like, oh, Tim, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yes, it is. It's a lot of pressure. But you know what? God's able to bear the pressure. He gets it. He has the strength to bear it. And he's invited you into a partnership where you become a hope dealer. You begin to give out hope. Why? Because I have so much hope, I don't know what to do with it. I've got to just get everywhere I go, everywhere I go. I move to the left and I spill out hope. I move to the right and I spill out hope. Everywhere I go, hope goes with me. Why? Because I fixed my eyes on Jesus and I know no matter what comes my way, the promises of God I can trust in, I can lean in. And even to the point of death in this world, I am secure. Listen. Listen, guys. I don't, I've, I've gone way too long. I don't know how, how I, I'm struggling inside of myself right now. And can I just be honest with you? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling right now inside of myself. I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to breathe life into the words that I'm saying right now. Because our world has never needed hope more than it needs it right now. And God's design to give it hope is that you would be so full of hope that it would overflow into the world around you. And some of you are sitting on the sidelines. Can, can, I, can, I, just, can, I, can I just speak this to you? I hope that we've been together long enough that you know my love for you that I can say this to you directly. The world needs the hope that God wants to well up inside of you so much that it overpours, that, that, that it pours over to the world around you. But you're not engaging hope. You're, you're sitting on the sideline. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're not filling yourself up with hope. And the world, meanwhile, the world around you is dying because it needs hope. And I want to implore you. I just, this is why I'm struggling with just, God, how do I communicate this thing that you put in our hearts to communicate as a church? We need you. We need you. Open up your Bible. Take in the Word of God. Let it fill you up with hope and then be a hope dealer everywhere you go. We need all of us in these days. These are no longer days where people have a general belief in God and you can, you can help people bridge that gap just you know, sort, of, sort of easily because the culture, there's just this foundation of a belief in God. That's gone. We no longer have that luxury. Here's what we have. We have people of God who are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to fill myself up with the word of God in private so that in public I can overflow hope to the world around me because God has called me to do this and there's great joy in doing it. And God wants me to do it. I do... 
I just don't know how else to say it to you. I want you, I want you to be filled up with hope so that you can be a hope dealer to the people around you. Yeah, I'm going long. Yeah, this is going to be a really long service that I'm going to have to explain. But these are the days. These are the days. Our brothers and sisters across the world this week gave their lives. No more can they be hope dealers other than the memory of their lives and the testimony of their lives. You and I, we still have breath in our lungs. We can still do this. And so what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.